It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And we are reviewing day number two of the 2020 NFL Draft. Of course, we are going to focus heavily on the New York Jets end of things with the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. Of course, above all that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. Chris, before we get into what happened on day number two of the draft, let's talk about what almost happened on day number one, this was a story that was reported by Mike Silver of NFL Network today. He had an in-depth look at what went on in the Jaguars' war room during the draft and how they ended up at number nine selecting C.J. Henderson, the cornerback from Florida. The team that was the most aggressive in terms of wanting to trade up was the Atlanta Falcons. They wanted to come up from 16 to 9, but they were offering a third and a fourth. And Dave Caldwell, the general manager of the Jaguars, didn't feel comfortable doing that deal because he would have had to slide down seven spots and apparently there were three players he really liked one of them was Henderson he felt that by going to 16 there was a good chance he wouldn't be able to get the guy he wanted and a third and a fourth just wasn't enough for him but there was a deal that he really liked and he was willing to do and it almost happened and it was with Joe Douglas and the New York Jets apparently Joe Douglas and Dave Caldwell had been talking for a couple of days and they agreed to a basic framework Joe Douglas was going to give up the 120th pick in the draft, the Jets' fourth rounder, in exchange for the opportunity to move from 11 to 9. This would have worked out perfectly for the Jags because they could have gotten Henderson at 11 if they had flipped. And even if somebody traded up to 10 to jump them for Henderson, there were two other players that they liked that they would have been able to get. The Jets were doing this only under the condition that Mekhi Becton or Jedrick Wills was on the board at the number 9 pick. When Isaiah Simmons went to the Cardinals at number eight, Joe Douglas realized that he would be able to get one of Becton or Wirfs without moving up, and so he begged off of the deal and ended up getting Makai Becton at number 11. But what that tells me, Chris, is A, Joe Douglas was willing to get aggressive to make sure that he didn't get shut out from the tackle he wanted, B, the two top tackles on his board were Wills and Becton, and C, it must have been very close in his mind between the two because if he liked one way more than the other, then you have to figure that he would have gone through with the deal anyway and just given up the fourth round pick because if you have a one and a two and then your one is rated way higher than your two, the fourth rounder seems like a pretty reasonable price. So it really feels like he had this graded somewhere along the lines of what Joe Thomas did. Joe Thomas, of course, had Becton as his 1A and Wills as his 1B. Perhaps Douglas had it that way, or he had Wills as his 1A and Becton as his 1B, but it sure seems like those were the two guys that Joe Douglas liked, Chris. Yeah, and it shows, you know, obviously that... Hey, he was paying attention to the same stuff we were yesterday, you know, going in and starting to think, okay, maybe maybe one of these guys isn't going to fall to me uh, at 11 here, and I have to be proactive to go up there and get this. And we've known this from the day that he was hired, and even before he actually got hired, that the offensive line is going to be a super big and important focus for him. So he was going to do that, and he's looking – at this draft and he's saying I got to get one of these guys and obviously uh it points that he had he valued uh Wills and and Becton in whatever order who are you know uh more than the other two and he was he had a plan to go out there and get it if he could if he could do that but it also shows the limitations of that plan he was he was willing to go and trade up two spots 
Um, and this is, I'm not saying this is a knock to him. This, this is smart because as much as you would like to have, you know, been able to trade up to the giant spot to get your pick right off the bat, you're not giving up what it would cost to go up that high. So he said, okay, look, I'd be willing to move up two spots and just have to give up this, this one fourth round pick. If, uh, if I can do that. And then he also knows in the back of his mind that he's probably going to be trading down later. So he really went in with this, with a strategy. And this is one of, you know, we got used to uh, hearing about these almost trades with the Jets and under Mike McCagnan. This is one of those almost trades, uh, but it didn't happen. And the fact that it didn't happen turned out to be a good thing for the Jets. It sure did. They were able to keep that fourth rounder. Keep that in mind because there are a couple of extra fourth rounders that came their way as we get into what the Jets actually did on day number two of the draft. They had the 48th overall pick. And I said to a friend of mine before the draft started that the Jets should probably either move up and get a guy they really coveted or try to move back a couple spots if they had a bunch of guys jumbled into one range. They ended up going that route. So the Jets trade down from number 48 to number 59 with the Seattle Seahawks. They pick up the Seahawks third round selection, number 101 overall. And this is where things got a little dicey. Now, you have to imagine that the strategy here was that Joe Douglas probably had a list of about a dozen players that he thought were in the same range, and he was comfortable taking any of them, and that's why he made this move. But here are a couple of players that went off the board that really would have been nice picks for the Jets at number 48. Chase Claypool, the wide receiver from Notre Dame, went to the Steelers at 49. Jalen Johnson, the cornerback from Utah, who I really like. I think he has potential to be a number one corner. He went to the Bears at number Number 50, Trevon Diggs went to the Dallas Cowboys, another cornerback from Alabama, another guy who has the potential to be a number one corner. That was with the 51st pick. And then you had Van Jefferson, who a lot of people thought the Jets were going to get in third round. He ends up going number 57 overall to the LA Rams. So the Jets are sitting there with these players that they could really use falling off the board. But when they got to 59, there were still players that they certainly would have coveted. One of them was Christian Fulton, the cornerback from LSU, but he ended up going number 61 because the Jets picked Denzel Mims, the wide receiver from Baylor. Now, when the day started, I thought Mims was going to go at the top of the second round. I actually thought that he was going to go somewhere between picks 20 and 30 yesterday. I was dumbfounded that he fell this far to the point where, Chris, I made a joke with you before we started recording. I thought it was only a matter of time before we started to hear about some injury we didn't know about or some drug test that we didn't know about. As far as I know, it was none of that. It was just teams are a little concerned about how raw his route running is. But this is a guy that I had ranked in the top six wide receivers in this draft. He's a guy that can go above the rim, make contested catches. He's got size. He's got speed. He's a red zone threat. And yes, he is a little bit raw with his route running. But we talked about this last year with DK Metcalf. DK Metcalf isn't running a whole lot of routes, but what he is doing is winning a lot. And so if Denzel Mims can come in and be like DK Metcalf in that way, that is a huge home run for Joe Douglas. Now, I'm not comparing Mims to Metcalf in terms of style or what they bring to the table. I'm simply saying that they fell for apparently similar reasons here. And I think that Mims is a guy that immediately can come in here and make an impact for the Jets. I think he has a chance to win a starting job, and if nothing else, he has a chance to really do something right off the bat out of training camp. I thought this was a risky strategy by Joe Douglas, but as I said on Twitter, he played Russian roulette, and it paid off big time because he got the guy that many Jets fans wanted at 48, at 59, and he picked up an extra third rounder, and we will see what he does with that tomorrow as we'll get into later how he parlayed that into something else. But Chris, I thought this was a risky move by Joe Douglas that turned into a fantastic move when it yielded Denzel Mims at number 59. Yeah, I was talking about how, you know, if I'm sitting there doing, looking at who's picking right before him. It was the it was all all bunch of B teams, right? It was like the Bears, Broncos, uh, Bucks, and then uh, uh, I forget who else, but or the Falcons. 
And I was like, all right. And I was like, maybe the Bears could go for one. Nobody else does. And I was like, I would just run up there so quickly with that Denzel Mims card. You know, I'm still using that old uh, that old trope of talking about running up to the podium, even though clearly we're on the inter- everyone's on the internet now. <laughs> um, so that doesn't apply. But anyway, I'm just going to run with it anyway. But I was like, let's go ahead and just get Mims. And then they traded down. And I was like, okay. Um, because again, you guys know where I stand on this. Just, just get Darnold help. Just help Sam. Sam needs all the help. Just do this. Um, receivers were flying off the board. Mims is is, uh, you know, an, a cut above what's left out there in my opinion. They decide he decides to trade down eleven spots. I'm just like, all right, for a fourth round pick, you're gonna you're gonna risk that. All right, cool. And then I'm also thinking in my head that Joe Douglas probably doesn't think about Mims the, the way I do. And that's that's why he's wet, letting him do this. But 11 picks go by, and he ends up going ahead and picking Denzel Mims with that. So he picked up that extra, um, you know, that extra pick, which was the third-round compensatory pick, actually. And he ended up trading that to the Patriots. So... Uh, we we have to wait on the result for there, but uh, that that's how that played out. And you know, he picked up that extra pick, which sure, you take all the picks in the world. If if you can drop down eleven spots and still get the same guy you were gonna get, now who knows? Maybe he had somebody ranked above Mims that went in those eleven spots, but somebody that I still would have taken there. Then go ahead and collect that extra fourth or that compensatory third. I'm I'm sorry. And that's what he ended up doing, and it worked out for him. So Joe Douglas's first gamble of the night paid off. And then we get to pick number 68, and this was a pick that a lot of people scratched their heads over. But I thought that it made a lot of sense just because of the value that the Jets got here. At number 68, the Jets go out and get Ashton Davis, the safety from Cal. And everybody immediately began to wonder if this had something to do with Jamal Adams. As far as I can tell, it doesn't. What Ashton Davis is going to do is come in here, play a little bit of nickel, play a little bit of linebacker, play a little bit of corner, play a little bit of safety, kind of be a jack-of-all-trades in that secondary, and then eventually the plan is probably going to be for him to replace Marcus May, not Jamal Adams, because remember, Marcus May is a free agent at the end of the year. He's been hurt a lot. The Jets need the depth in the meantime anyway, so this was more of a long-term move. Davis is a terrific athlete, very fast, and he's somebody that can be used in a multitude of ways by Greg Williams and then eventually, like I said, slot in for Marcus May, who the Jets apparently had made available before the draft began, along with Henry Anderson and Avery Williamson. That's what Manish was saying in the Daily News. So I think that people that were upset about this were looking at it as maybe it was a message to Jamal Adams, or why did they take a safety when they don't really need one? They need a safety more than people realize, and I get that it's not a premium spot and it's not a premium need per se, but the fact that Douglas traded down and picked up the extra pick afforded him the luxury of doing this, and I think that he just felt that Ashton Davis was too much value to pass up. This is a guy that many people felt was a top 40 to 50 player. He ends up getting picked at number 68, so I had no problem with it. Yeah, now, Ashton Davis isn't, um, you know, somebody that I paid a particularly close attention to leading up to the draft. Uh, I did notice him a couple times throughout his college career uh, when I would occasionally throw on a, a cow game and watch cow game, and I'm watching this white guy fly around in the back of the sen- uh, secondary as a safety. You know, this is 2020. We don't have a lot of uh especially fast white safeties out there. So I remember he, and he can uh, hit, he can lay a hit on people. He, he's very rangy. He is not, uh, there's nothing to do with Jamal Adams. Like the idea that people thought that, you know, you're, you're not watching. It's, it's, it's like the difference between drafting a middle linebacker and an edge linebacker. They're just completely different. Um, if, if anything, this is more of, of a problem for Marcus May, like you said, and he's got the contract coming up, so obviously they're trying to groom him. And look, you see uh, smart teams do this all the time. You see what the Saints did. Uh, the Saints don't have an immediate need with Cesar Ruiz, but 
they said, no, we got to get this guy right now. And then we can move on going forward from here. So yes, it's not a premium position, but it's a guy they like, uh, don't pay attention to anybody saying that they're, they're going to try him at corner. Maybe, maybe I doubt it though. This guy is a center fielder. This guy is rangy. Uh, he, he can hit. He's, he is a center fielder. How good he'll be. I'm, I'm not sure. I will, over these next couple of days, do a, a lot of digging into the tape and really study him. Uh, but he is a center fielder, that's for sure. And then at number 79, the Jets' own pick in the third round, they end up taking Jabari Zuniga, the defensive end slash outside linebacker from Florida. He's somebody who's more or less a high upside swing. There were flashes. There were things that you liked. It's more of a traits pick than anything else. Not consistent production at Florida. There were some concerns, apparently, about character. I know that there were some people on Twitter talking about how he's considered a leader and his teammates loved him, but Matt Miller and Connor Rogers were talking about this during the Bleacher Report broadcast. They said they'd heard from area scouts that there were maturity issues and that they were worried a little bit about his work ethic and also... And this is kind of funny, but it sort of weighs into this. The fact that he's friends with Ja'Kai Polite concerns some people because of the company you keep, I suppose. And they were on the team together, so they think that maybe he picked up some of Ja'Kai Polite's bad habits. So this is a pick that I didn't love myself. I thought Bradley and I made more sense if you're looking for an edge rusher because even though Anai has a limited ceiling, he's somebody that I think could come in and at least start right away, and he's got a high motor. At worst, you're getting a Jordan Jenkins-ish type player, which at that point in the third round is not that bad. I think he could be a better pass rusher than Jordan Jenkins anyway. And there were other players on the board that I liked as well, but that was the guy that they ended up picking at 79. I know that Clayton Smarslock likes him, and I think part of that is probably because he's a Florida homer, but he does legitimately like him. So we keep our fingers crossed, hope for the best. Like I said, this is one where Joe Douglas is betting on the traits, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, I'll just go with the comment about the Florida homer thing there. Because in college football, it does – we 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 know this. We've seen this, um, especially with a certain uh, the Penn State quarterback. There there was some <laughs> Penn State fans that were very homerific with him. But a lot of times college football fans will be the ones – the first one to tell you when their player from their school is not good. Um, so they'll be the first one to tell you. And if, if they want to continue rooting for them, you know, and they know what they're talking about, they want to keep rooting for them on the jets. Typically that means that they actually like them. Um, again, you know how I feel here. There's plenty of, uh, wide receivers, offensive linemen. I would have taken a running back to help Sam Darnold. There was plenty of other directions to go there. So that, that's my big knock. Um, again, I didn't dig into the tape. I, again, like I said, this this season I didn't dig into as much tape as I did. I kind of figured somewhere along the line Joe Douglas was going to pick an edge, but I felt like, you know, I watched a couple of the top guys, but I was like, I feel like if I'm digging into all of them, I'm going to end up still missing whoever he takes. So this is another player I'll look at the tape in these next couple of days. But it, it does seem, you know, you, you can roll your eyes at, all the character stuff, no matter what, and on both sides of it too, because I sure maybe, uh, but also the people who are saying, you know, that, Oh, he was a leader. Well, I, I heard a lot of the same stuff about Ja'Kai polite too. There was, he was, there's a lot of people that were coming out and saying like, I don't know where all this stuff is coming from with him. Um, so you, you get both sides of it. And, the but the idea that oh oh he's he's friends with Jukai Polite well what are we talking about friends here they played on the same football team like in the same position like yeah they should get along at least it'd be more of a red flag if he they had like some serious problem um, so I I don't people throw that stuff out there and I I don't really know what value it has and how much weight to put into it so. We'll wait and see. Um, the the main thing with him, from what I gathered, is he he got hurt. He had an ankle injury, and he never really bounced back from it. Um, you know, whether that was it didn't fully heal, uh, he just didn't get bounced back into shape, or whatever it was, uh, he never really bounced back from it. But 
there is a lot of potential and talent there, but it, it, this looks like somebody who will be, you know, probably a borderline starter for the next couple of years. And there's, I think there's starter uh, quality out there right now on the offense that Joe Douglas could have gone with. And like I said, if you have a problem with what I said about his character concerns, take that up with Matt Miller and Connor Rogers because I didn't no, report. No, I have a problem with you. <laughs> I have a problem with you, Scott. As you said before we started recording, Chris, this is what I get for posting anything on Twitter. But yeah, Connor and Matt mentioned it during the broadcast. So if you want to take it up with anybody, take it up with them. I'm not the one who is reporting it. I'm not the one that has the sources. That's those guys. I'm not a reporter. So if you want to talk to them and find out what they know, that's what they were talking about during the broadcast. Chris, as far as that final pick in the third round that they got from Seattle, they ended up trading that away to the New England Patriots. In exchange, they got the 125th and the 129th picks in the draft in the fourth round that they'll be able to make tomorrow. And they get a sixth rounder next year. So Joe Douglas goes into tomorrow with number 120, number 125, number 129, and then number 158. And then he's got two picks in the sixth round. But there are some players that are still available that the Jets can get at a couple of positions of need. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But first, let's quickly recap the action that went down today in the draft. A lot of people wanted the Jets to grab a wide receiver. And so they were thinking about the big names here. Michael Pittman Jr. is an obvious connection because of Sam Darnold in USC. He's a pedigree player. And T. Higgins from Clemson was another popular name. He was somebody that a lot of people thought could go in the first round. Well, he didn't, but he was the first pick off the board today. T. Higgins goes to the Bengals at 33. And Michael Pittman was the second name off the board. He goes to the Colts at number 34, so he'll play with Phillip Rivers. Then DeAndre Swift becomes the second running back off the board for Georgia at 35. These three picks, Chris, let's talk about them real quickly. Were you disappointed when Pittman and Higgins went off the board that quickly? And when it happened, were you concerned that the Jets weren't going to be able to get a wide receiver they wanted at 48? Well, this was the exact opposite of how you know it played out yesterday in the first round. Why we sat there... You didn't see a tackle come until the Giants picked, and then you got you knew the Dolphins weren't going to take one there at five, but you got the relief immediate, almost immediately with the Chargers not uh, taking one, and then again with the Cardinals not taking it. And this was just right off the bat. T. Higgins, Michael Pittman, and pretty much everyone, you know, some people had uh, Mims in there um, one way or another, but the top three guys, Two of them were gone right off the bat. And it was like, uh, all right. <laughs> uh, and then you had, because going into that round, you're sitting there thinking, well, it depends on how many of these guys you had. Uh, uh, I know I had more I was willing to take at 48 than you were. But I'm sitting there, I'm like, all right, they got five guys. Uh, you know, chances are that they're not going to take five receivers in, in those 18 picks. And then two of them come right off the board, and you're like, okay, well, well, let me adjust my collar here because this this might uh, go uh, go south real quick. And you know, so obviously that that's exactly how it played out. And then Joe Douglas decided to tempt fate even further by trading down, but it worked out for him. And uh, yeah, but when you see those two flying off the board, you had to get a little nervous that they weren't going to get a, a target for Sam Darnold. Then the Giants picked, and they went with Xavier McKinney, and I think this is a fantastic pick. McKinney is a guy that easily could have gone middle of the first round. Instead, he goes at number 36. The story, apparently, is that the Giants had a deal in place to trade down, but they told the team that they were going to trade down with they would only do the deal if McKinney was off the board. He wasn't, and so they picked him. Love it. I think he's a day one starter and a guy that could be a really high-level player for 10 years. The Giants did really well in this draft. Andrew Thomas yesterday, Xavier McKinney today, and we'll get into the rest of what they did. But I really like what they've done. And I have to give the credit to Joe Judge, Chris, because I can't imagine that Dave Gettleman would have made smart moves like this on his own. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, the thing about Gettleman is Gettleman's actually not that bad of a drafter. It's just he's still stuck in his old ways of 
the football. So he's a little outdated on stuff, but his evaluations of players, you know, he's, he's got some things off here, but he he puts the values in the wrong spots for today's game. After McKinney went off the board, next up it was another safety. The Patriots, who had traded down the day before and out of the first round with the Chargers, took Kyle Duggar from Lenore Ryan. I think that's how you pronounce it. An interesting pick, and this kid has an incredible story. He has Patriots written all over him. He's the kind of kid that people will say, why did you pick him that high? And then he'll go to like three Pro Bowls. That's pretty much how this works out for the Patriots. And then I love this pick for the Panthers, and this is such a Matt Rule pick. Build in the trenches. You knew that Matt Rule was going to do this. He took Derek Brown on day number one and then on day number two. Yatur Gross Matos, the edge rusher from Penn State. I think if he had slipped to 48, absolutely somebody that Joe Douglas should have considered. You know that he really wants to do something to fix that edge rusher spot. And Gross Matos was the only one left on day two that I think had the ability to really come in on day one and make an impact. And so he goes to the Carolina Panthers. Then the Dolphins make up a little bit for that bad Austin Jackson pick yesterday by getting Robert Hunt from Louisiana Lafayette, who I really like. I think he's going to probably play guard at the next level. Chris, let's talk about this. Kyle Duggar to the Patriots. Yatur Gross Matos to the Panthers and Robert Hunt to the Miami Dolphins. I really love that Hunt pick. Your Turgros Matos, I think that's a steal at 38. And Duggar is a bit of an unknown, but like I said, that's the type of guy that always seems to succeed somehow with the Patriots. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to pretend like I know a single thing about the, Lenore Ryan. What, what school is that? I've definitely never watched one of those games, but I, I did see this, this dude, and he is a monster. And, you know, Belichick's missed plenty in his draft career, but he's also earned the benefit of the doubt. Uh, he, <laughs> he knows way more football than me, so we'll, we'll have to wait and see how this plays out. Um yeah, those last two, uh, I could have definitely seen Joe Douglas being like, all right, let's go for them uh, there. I'm not going to try to pronounce that rusher's name right now. I'm a little bit tired, didn't get much sleep last night, so I'm not going to do that to myself or to him. I do not want to insult the fine young man like that. Uh, he's an excellent football player, and I, I do think it would have been really tough for Joe Douglas to pass on him there. Uh, I think Robert Hunt would have been a very, very nice fit for them. But I still think he probably was willing to uh, trade down at that point. But I, I don't think he would have passed up the edge. I, I could be completely wrong here, uh, but I think he would have gone, gone ahead and, and pulled the trigger on that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Russ Blacklock, the defensive tackle from TCU, ends up going to the Texans at number 40. Jonathan Taylor comes off the board, the running back from Wisconsin. He goes to the Colts. Interesting because the Colts have a bunch of running backs. I like Taylor a lot. The only real downside with him is that he's not a big-time receiving threat. Then at number 42, once again, here come the receivers. LaVisca Chenault from Colorado comes off the board to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Cole Komet, the tight end from Notre Dame. I'm not really a big fan of his. I feel like he only got pushed up here because of the fact that this is a weak tight end class. Grant Delpit. The safety from LSU, he had some injury issues, but I think he's a really good player, and he's another one, much like McKinney, who easily could have gone in the first round. He goes at number 44 to the Browns, and then right after that, another safety, Antoine Winfield Jr. goes to the Bucks. Winfield Jr. is a chip off the old block, a really good player, just like his old man, who is an excellent corner in the NFL for many years. I think that's going to be a great pick for Todd Bowles, and he'll do really well there. The Broncos double up at wide receiver because they got Jerry Judy in round one and then K.J. Hamler in round two. And the beauty of that, of course, is that there are two very different wide receivers. K.J. Hamler is more of that deep threat. He's sort of that Robbie Anderson-ish type of player, and Jerry Judy, as we know, is the big-time route runner. And so now, once we get to 46, you're starting to sweat a little bit because, as we said, 
Those receivers went early, and now Chenault is off the board, and Hamler is off the board. So let's go through this. Chris, Jonathan Taylor comes off the board here to the Colts. I don't think the Jets were going to be drafting anybody at running back that high. I certainly don't think they were taking a tight end like Cole Komet. And I don't think that they were going to take a safety this high, even though they did take Ashton Davis later. So they weren't going to go for Delpit or Antoine Winfield. But boy, Hamler and Chenault going certainly put some beads of sweat down the faces of Jets fans. What do you think about this series of picks here? Yeah, it's an interesting stretch because uh, Chenault and Hamler, two guys, I, you know, I didn't really think that the Jets would end up going Chenault, but he is uh, a playmaker and dangerous with the ball in his hand. So uh, he's a player I, I definitely want on my team. And Hamler's got the speed, so you could definitely see him playing and um, them wanting him. Like you said, uh, this is one of those situations I was just talking about earlier with Cole Komet. Uh, you know, Notre Dame, I, I watched all the games. Yep, yeah, okay, cool. He he went there because <laughs> this is a really weak class. If uh, if this was a, an even average uh, tight end class, I, I don't think he's going to be the uh, first one gone. Um, Del Pitt, you know, two years ago really liked him. Coming off uh, this year was very disappointing, but I am a big Antoine Winfield fan, but you're right. They they weren't going safety there. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, again, not going that high either. So you're looking at those picks, but it's Chanel and, and uh, Hamler going off because, you, again, you're, you're getting nervous there. You're, you're wondering if there's going to be anybody there for the Jets uh, for Sam Darnold. Then we get Marlon Davidson, the edge rusher from Auburn, although I think that he's going to end up playing defensive tackle once he gets to the pros. He's just too big, I think, to be on the edge full time. And then this is where the Jets traded down, and a lot of people were nervous because there were some really good players on the board, and the Jets took a gamble by trading down here. The Seahawks come up and take Daryl Taylor, the edge rusher from Tennessee, Chase Claypool, as we said, from Notre Dame. He goes here. Jalen Johnson, who I'm a huge fan of. He comes off the board. Trevon Diggs, Cam Akers, Jalen Hurts. Let's talk about this, Chris, and then we'll get back to the rest of this. What a curveball this was by the Philadelphia Eagles. In one respect, I do understand it. They felt that there was value there. Wentz has been hurt a bunch. They feel like this gives them insurance because if they can develop him into something, then it's sort of like what happened when they had Nick Foles. They have somebody that can step in and they don't have to worry about their season being ruined if something happens to Wentz. And worst case scenario, they try to do what the Patriots did with Jimmy G, develop him and eventually trade him because you figure that Wentz will still be here. But at number 53, this isn't something that the Eagles needed that badly. And quite frankly, the holdup yesterday from what you hear is that the Eagles did not want to part with their second round pick as part of a package to go up and get CeeDee Lamb. To not be willing to use that second rounder to go get CeeDee Lamb and then use it to draft a backup quarterback just seems really bizarre to me. Yeah, I wonder if the uh, Eagles are thinking about using him in a Taysom Hill type of way. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's that's the only way it makes sense for to me to go up and get him and and that's they're like super concerned about some Carson Wentz injury related not even just on some Carson Wentz keeps getting injured but like but that doesn't make sense cuz they just recently signed I I don't know this is, the only way this really makes sense to me is that they have some uh designs to use him in some type of packages and and also as a backup if it's just as a backup for Carson Wentz, it doesn't make sense to go this high. Um, but at the same time, we saw this last night because the Packers went to get Jordan Love and they're not going to be able to move on from Aaron Rodgers for at least three years. So they, instead of getting a weapon for Aaron Rodgers, they drafted his backup that they can't really use for three years. Um it's it's all very confusing, but the Eagles have done so much right over the years, especially when it comes to drafting, that my brain is sitting here saying, okay, they they must have the uh, designs to use him 
more in packages, uh, packages and different situations. That that that's what I'm sticking with because I trust the Eagles. This is this is what uh, years of smart moves and drafting will buy you. It buys you the benefit of the doubt. Next, the rich get richer with A.J. Epinesa going to the Buffalo Bills. I didn't love Epinesa when he was getting projected in the first round, but at 54, I love him coming in there on that Buffalo defense. I think he's a really nice piece. The Ravens get J.K. Dobbins, another weapon for Lamar Jackson. Raquan Davis from Alabama goes to the Dolphins, a little bit of a head-scratcher there. Van Jefferson, as we talked about, goes to the Rams. I love that one for them. I think he's going to be a nice replacement for Brandon Cooks. Obviously a very different type of receiver, but he should be very productive there with Jared Goff. Ezra Cleveland goes to the Vikings. That's a guy who's very athletic, but a big-time project. I'm not so sure when he'll be ready to play. That one seemed to be a hedge as far as them being involved in trying to get Trent Williams, and when they couldn't get a deal done, they saw Ezra Cleveland still on the board and went and grabbed him. Denzel Mims, as we said, goes to the Jets after they trade down. They get him at 59. And then to finish out the second round, Josh Uche from Michigan. This is another perfect pick for the Patriots. They get themselves one of those guys that should be very productive off the bat, maybe not necessarily going to be a superstar or anything, but this is such a Patriots pick. Christian Fulton, the cornerback from LSU, that was a guy that I would have had my eye on at 59 if they hadn't picked Mims. Like him a lot. Think he can be an instant starter. A.J. Dillon, the running back from Boston College, goes to Green Bay. It's funny because everybody assumed that Aaron Rodgers was upset with the Jordan Love pick yesterday, and he probably was. And he had also made a comment about how the Packers never draft offensive skill players early. Well, here you go. A.J. Dillon goes to Aaron Rodgers as an extra weapon. Willie Gay Jr., the linebacker for Mississippi State, goes to the Chiefs. And then with the last pick in the second round, the Carolina Panthers select Jeremy Chin. I think that's a good pick. That's right around where I would have figured he would go. So, Chris, let's talk about this stretch here after the Jets pick Mims. Uche to the Patriots, Fulton to the Titans, Dylan to the Packers, Willie Gay Jr. to the Chiefs, and Jeremy Chin to the Panthers. What say you, sir? Yeah, I like the Fulton pick. Uh, the AJ Dillon man, Aaron Rodgers has to be furious. Uh, <laughs> you know, they they haven't drafted a skill possession uh, guy in the first round his entire career. Uh, you know, it's one of those things that I don't think he has. He can really get but so mad about them drafting uh, his future replacement. Uh, but they. They were in the NFC Championship game last year. They need weapons, and uh, he he probably should have learned his lesson. This is one of those – I know it's different uh, GMs running this sh- uh, show now, but this is like you, you, uh, you start hooking up with a girl who's cheating on her boyfriend, and then you get mad once you start dating and she ends up cheating on you. This, uh, this is kind of the situation here with uh, Aaron Rodgers. So he, he should have seen this coming. After that – you know, I like the chin pick, um, but yeah, the, the the end of that uh, that round isn't anything that that re- really to write home about there for me. Then we move to the third round, Chris. First pick, Logan Wilson, linebacker from Wyoming. Antonio Gibson, the wide receiver slash running back from Memphis, goes to the Redskins. Some people thought he might be a fourth or fifth round target for the Jets, but alas. He was not. Julian Aquara, another guy that a lot of people thought the Jets might have their eye on here, and perhaps they would have pulled the trigger on him had he been available at number 68, but instead they went with Ashton Davis after Aquara went off the board. Chris, what'd you think of this? I like Gibson, thought he could have been a nice weapon for Gase. He went to the Redskins instead, so Dwayne Haskins gets him. And then Aquara to the Lions. Chris, I got to ask you, since you are a Notre Dame guy, what did you think? Would you have been happy with the Jets getting Julian Aquara? Uh, you know, I considering what they ended up going with at Edge shortly after this, yeah, I would have been all right with it. Uh, you know, the, this is kind of why the reason why I kept doing these mocks and, you know, you kept talking about Edge and after that, uh, I just looked at this Edge class and it just, you know, outside of Chase Young, Chison would have been good. Uh, the the other guy whose name I'm not even going to try to pronounce right now. But after that, there's 
there's a bunch of solid guys, I think. I just think in these rounds you can get more um, firepower, better high-end talent on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, so I would have gone there. But considering what – Agora has a lot, some plenty of work to do himself. Uh, he is far from a finished product. But I, I think that from it's kind of unfair for me to say it. I watched a lot more of him. So I've seen more to think that I, I would project him to be a little bit higher than the Florida guy. Um, the name is escaping me right now. I don't want to butcher that name either. Jabari so Zuniga. I, there you go, Zuniga. Uh, yeah, it's going to take a little while to get used to saying that. But, uh, yeah, so I, if you just asked me between the two, I would have I would have said uh, Akara. Um, ask me again after I watch down a lot of the Zuniga tape. So we'll see about that. Then Damian Lewis, the guard from LSU, comes off the board. He ends up going to the Seahawks. I like that pick a lot. I like Damian Lewis. I think he can be an instant starter on that line. Then at number 70, Brandon Jones, the safety from Texas, goes to the Dolphins. I didn't really love what the Dolphins did in this draft, to be perfectly honest. The Ravens make a pick that they got from the Chargers through the Patriots. He got that. Justin Mamaluke, I think that's how you pronounce it, from Texas A&M, the defensive tackle. And then at 72, this one was a long time coming. Josh Jones, the offensive tackle from Houston, who we thought could go as high as 18 to the Dolphins or even 14 to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Instead, 72 to the Cardinals. So just to review, Cliff Kingsbury went out in the offseason. He got himself a number one wide receiver in DeAndre Hopkins. Then he goes into the draft and he gets a defensive game changer in Isaiah Simmons. And then all the way in the third round, he gets himself a blindside protector for his young quarterback, Kyler Murray. So you got to hand it to Cliff Kingsbury. He's getting the job done there. Devon Hamilton, the defensive tackle from Ohio State, goes number 73 of the Jaguars. And then another guy who everybody thought could go late first, early second, Zach Bond, the linebacker from Wisconsin, goes at number 74. The Saints always seem to get guys like this. It happens every time, but you have to love the strategy here of just building with nice pieces between him and Cesar Ruiz and players like that. So let's talk about this stretch here. Damian Lewis, Brandon Jones, Justin Mobdaluk, Josh Jones, Devin Hamilton, and Zach Bond. Jones and Bond falling this far was a real stunner. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I want to go ahead and focus on Zach Bond here. Like I said earlier uh, about the Saints not having a pressing need for Cesar Ruiz, but taking him anyways, too good to pass up. And they could use Bond a little bit more, but you're right. It's just like I said, uh, you know, last night, Ravens going to Raven when they got Patrick Queen. Well, look, the Saints are going to Saints. They went out and they they just, these guys always seem to find them. and I, I don't know if you, I should put it that way. It's not that they seem to find them. It's that other teams be willing, seem willing to pass on them and let them just fall to them. And they're just like the Saints, the Ravens, they're just always – it's probably because of teams like Seattle either just trading out or picking guys that no one expected. And then the Saints and Ravens like looking around like, wait, what? This this guy, what? How is this guy? St- okay, fine. We're, we're just going to take him. They don't go and overthink it. They don't try to get cute. They just go, all right, you guys let us let them slip to us. So, all right, we're just going to go ahead and take them. Um, and, yeah, Josh Jones is a similar situation there. Uh, to fall, I, I got the concern when people were talking about him as a mid-first-round pick. Like, I was – I understood being a little worried about that, but – for him to go the eighth pick or 72nd pick overall eighth pick in the third round. Yeah. That that's somebody I'd snatch up. And if you're going to pass on a tackle that high uh, for an Isaiah Simmons. Yeah. That, that feels really nice to be able to be like, all right, we did that and still came away with Josh Jones. Yeah. That, they got to be f- feeling pretty good about themselves after that. After that, Jonah Jackson, the guard from Ohio State, goes to the Lions. The Tampa Bay Bucks get themselves another weapon for Tom Brady. Some speed, a guy who's a dual threat. Actually, he's a triple threat because he can block too. Keyshawn Vaughn from Vanderbilt. 
Boy, oh boy, Tom Brady is loaded for bear now down in Tampa. He has got himself weapons. He's got himself protection. They added to that defense. Tampa Bay is going to be a problem in the NFC. The Broncos end up getting Michael Ojemudia. I think that's how you pronounce it, the cornerback from Iowa. Matt Hennessy, who is a guy that a lot of Jets fans liked, not only because he's a pretty good center, but because his brother, Thomas Hennessy, is the long snapper for the Jets. He goes one pick ahead of the Jets to the Atlanta Falcons at number 78 at 79. The Jets took Jabari Zuniga. The Raiders then jump in and take Lynn Bowden Jr., who's a bit of a gadget type of guy, running back slash wide receiver. He's somebody that can do a little bit of that Brad Smith type of stuff. Brian Edwards, another guy that a lot of Jets fans liked and thought could be a possibility for the Jets here, maybe even at 79 or perhaps even the fourth round. He goes at number 81 to the Raiders. The Cowboys get Neville Gallimore, the defensive tackle from Oklahoma. Man, that's a great pick for the Cowboys. I love that one. In fact, I think the Cowboys actually did really well. There were all these jokes before the draft about, oh, Jerry is going to do this solo. This is going to be a disaster. Well, they ended up with CeeDee Lamb, Neville Gallimore, and Trevon Diggs. So I guess the laugh is on everybody else. And then Lloyd Cushenberry, another guy that a lot of people thought the Jets could have their eye on. He goes to the Broncos, the center from LSU. As my friend Luke Grant joked, it seems like the Broncos draft a center every year for some reason. I'm not entirely sure why. The Rams grab Terrell Lewis, the outside linebacker from Alabama. Now, this is an interesting case, Chris, because Terrell Lewis is a dynamic edge rusher. He's a guy that can cause havoc. I mean, we're talking double-digit sack type of player, but he cannot stay on the field, and that's why he was picked at 84 instead of in the top 10 because if this was a guy that could stay healthy, he probably would have been a very early pick. So let's review these picks here, Chris. You had some interesting ones. Jonah Jackson going to the Lions, Keyshawn Vaughn to the Bucks, Michael Ojemudia to the Broncos, Matt Hennessy one pick ahead of the Jets to the Falcons. Curious if you think the Jets might have picked him if he was there. Lynn Bowden Jr. to the Raiders, Brian Edwards also to the Raiders, and then the Cowboys getting Neville Gallimore, the Broncos getting Lloyd Cushenberry, and the Rams getting Terrell Lewis. Yeah, I love the Keyshawn Vaughn pick. Uh, I, I watched. I didn't watch a ton of Vanderbilt for obvious reasons, um, but I I remember uh, seeing Connor Rogers tweet about him, and then I I watched a couple clips, and then I was I saw him play. I forget who what game it was. I saw him live. Um, but he made me a believer that day, and uh, I, I paid close attention to him from there on. Uh, I do think that there's a extremely high chance that the Jets would have taken Matt Hennessy if he had slipped there. Um, I don't. I just don't think Joe Douglas is content with the inside there. I know he he did want to get an edge, and he got that in Zuniga but I think he does want to address the offensive line some more, and we'll see. Maybe he does that with one of these three fourth-round picks or the, you know one of the later picks, but I think if Hennessy was on board, he would have had a, a tough time turning that away. Um, yeah, Cushenberry, very good center. I, I like him a lot. I don't know if that would have been the best fit with this offense, but you could have taken him and you know used that at least as depth or – seen what happens going forward after after this 2020 season so um but yeah the the Hennessy would have been an interesting uh fit here and I think that Joe Douglas would have had a tough choice to make at least and if I was him I, I would have gone Hennessy in that situation but we'll never know for sure what his decision would have been there Back-to-back Utah players off the board, Julian Blackman, the safety coming off the board to the Indianapolis Colts, Zach Moss, the running back, going to the Buffalo Bills, so another weapon there for Josh Allen. Again, I love what the Bills are doing there. Unfortunately, the one piece that's the most important is the one that I think is defective. That, of course, is Allen himself, but they're really adding some quality pieces there. The Patriots get Anthony Jennings, 
The linebacker from Alabama, who I think is going to be an edge possibility. I like that one. He's somebody that I thought could have been an interesting target in round number four, but here he goes at the back end of round three. The Cleveland Browns get Jordan Elliott, the defensive tackle from Missouri. And here's an interesting one. Cam Dantzler, corner from Mississippi State. He goes to the Vikings at 89. I was kind of iffy on him, to be perfectly honest, but... At 89, he has starting potential, and that's where you would look to get somebody like this. He's got problems with deep speed, and so you worry about him when it comes to covering speedier receivers, number one level receivers, but he's got good size. So if he goes to the right team, he could be a productive NFL player. Jonathan Greener, the outside linebacker from Florida, he ends up going to the Texans. Some people thought that he would have been a better pick here than Zuniga, who the Jets picked 11 picks earlier. So, Chris, let's break this down real quickly. You had the two Utah guys, Julian Blackman and Zach Moss, Anthony Jennings, Jordan Elliott, Cam Dantzler, and Jonathan Greenard all going off the board. Yeah, Anthony Jennings feels like such a Patriots pick. <laughs> um, that's, that's just another one of those ones. Like, yeah, I, I said I'm watching and I'm watching – Anthony Jennings to the Patriots. Oh, yep, okay. Should have should have known. Why didn't I just see that coming? Um, Zach Moss, you know, <clears throat> like you said, the Bills are really going. Brandon Bean has done a phenomenal job with that one exception. Um, I'm a little mad because I have Devin Singletary in my fantasy keeper league. So Zach Moss is going to eat some of that. I'm going to have to um, move on from Devin Singletary now. So I'm a little upset about that. I had him a real nice value there later on. But uh, you don't really want to hear about that. So we will move on. Yeah, Cameron Dantzler would have been an interesting uh, choice or, you know, possibility there. But, yeah, my main takeaway from that stretch of players is Anthony Jennings, New England Patriot, makes all the sense in the world. Next up, the Patriots grab Devin Asi-Asi, the tight end from UCLA. They ended up taking two tight ends, as we'll see a little bit later. Devin DuVernay, the wide receiver from Texas, very fast. I would have liked him for the Jets because he can play inside or outside. He goes to the Ravens, so another weapon for Lamar Jackson. Darrington Evans, the running back from Appalachian State, he goes to Tennessee. Be a little bit of thunder and lightning going on there with him and Derrick Henry. The Packers take... Josiah Degara, the tight end from Cincy. McKelvin Agim, the defensive tackle from Arkansas, goes to the Broncos at 95. The Chiefs grab Lucas Niang, the offensive tackle from TCU at 96. He would have gone much higher, but injuries dragged him down. This is a guy that if he stays healthy, could be a real bargain at that spot. Jacob Phillips, the linebacker from LSU, goes with the first comp pick in the round, number 97, to the Browns. The Ravens take Malik Harrison from Ohio State at 98. That is another very Ravens pick, as you would say, Chris, and I like that a lot. I think he's a very good value at number 98. The Giants continued what I thought was a strong draft by grabbing Matt Peart, the offensive tackle from UConn at 99. He's more of a developmental player, but if you look at it this way, Chris, it's very possible that they groom him to eventually take Nate Solder's spot. They would love to get rid of Nate Solder right now, but they're stuck with him for at least one more year and probably two. So by the time Peart's ready, maybe that timeline matches up. Then at number 100, the Raiders from the Patriots get Tanner Muse, the linebacker from Clemson. Dalton Keene goes to the Patriots one pick later with the pick that the Jets traded them. Remember, the Jets now have three fourth-round picks and they will make them all tomorrow. Dalton Keene from Virginia Tech, the tight end, was the pick here. He's an interesting one, very Patriots type of player because he's multifaceted. Steelers get Alex Highsmith, an interesting edge rusher out of Charlotte at number 102. I know Connie Carberg likes him a lot. She thought he would be a really good late sleeper. Devion Taylor, the outside linebacker from Colorado, goes at 103. Terrell Burgess, the safety from Utah. Man, Utah had a hell of a secondary. I like Burgess a lot. He's a guy that easily could have gone in the second round, but he slips here to the end of the third. Good pick by the Rams. New Orleans picks Adam Troutman, the tight end from Dayton. And then finally, we finish out the third round at 106 with the Ravens grabbing Tyree Phillips, the guard from Mississippi State. So, Chris, let's wrap this up. What did you think of that last stretch there? at the end of the third round. Well, my main takeaway from that stretch is obviously the Jets trading with the Patriots. And I can only imagine what was going through 
every Jets fan's head because it went through my head as as a reporter is I was like, oh man, they just traded the uh, with the Patriots so the Patriots could come up and get, and then my brain went straight to thinking about what quarterbacks left, who are they going to turn into Tom Brady? But no, they went and they got their second tight end in a round. Uh, again, very Patriots-like. Um, like what else should we have really expected? Uh, Belichick's going to go and get two tight ends. Makes all the sense in the world. Um, I really liked the uh, Lucas Niang pick, especially for the Chiefs. Um, there's definitely injury concern there, but if he can stay healthy, I I think that's worth a a, a nice swing to go ahead and take him with uh you know the 96 overall pick go ahead and take that chance you, uh, you won a super bowl last year too yeah go ahead and do that There's a huge upside there um yeah the giants i'm with you there the pert a uh, good choice they've really built up that offensive line uh good job and yeah once again the ravens just sitting there like oh malik Harrison. okay sure Thank you, guys. Thank you, all 97 teams, for passing up ahead of him and letting him fall to us. I don't know why you keep doing this, but we're going to keep taking these guys. Uh, that's just how it feels with when it comes to, you know, the the Ravens and the Saints and the Patriots on a lesser level, but they, they go a little more off board uh, than most. Devin Asi Asi and Dalton Keene. Gronk who? I think that's what they're saying right now. In New England Well probably not But who knows Maybe in a couple of years We'll see one of those guys Become the next Gronk And by that I mean The 24-7 WWE champion I've been meaning to ask you About this Scott Like Mm -hmm. at, at, At some point Like If a player tackles Gronk and then just goes a little extra with it And pins him Do they Do they get the title right there on the spot? Well, I was joking about this with a friend of mine today, actually. We thought it would be a funny sketch if Brady was willing to go along with it, where they would film something where, say, Brady and Gronk are practicing, and Brady throws a long pass to Gronk. He catches it, and as he's spiking the ball, one of the wrestlers sneaks up behind Gronk, rolls him up, and a referee jumps out, counts the three, and the wrestler grabs the belt and runs off, and Gronk is standing there puzzled, and Brady just looks around like, Gronk, who the heck have you been hanging out with while we've been gone? I thought that would be a really funny sketch. I don't know if Tom Brady would be willing to participate, but he does seem to have a sense of humor, so maybe. I also had a friend of mine joke that maybe Giselle was going to win the 24-7 title now because Gronk was going to have to focus on playing football, and I will say that if that happens, if Giselle wins the 24-7 title, I will be watching a lot more WWE. So, Chris, that wraps up day number two of the NFL draft, and let's do a quick preview of some guys that could be options for the Jets when everything resumes at 12 noon for the NFL draft day number three. There are still some very interesting names here. Bryce Hall, the cornerback from Virginia, very intriguing possibility there. He's somebody that if he stays healthy, because remember he had that ankle injury, could be a starter day one. Prince Tega Wanagaho, the offensive tackle from Auburn. He's a little bit raw, but could be a project. And if you believe in him, maybe he's worth taking in the fourth, especially since you have three picks. Donovan Peoples-Jones, the wide receiver from Michigan. That's somebody that you should absolutely consider because he could be a contributor from day one. Curtis Weaver, the edge rusher from Boise State. He's somebody that you might want to add. Bradley and I, the edge rusher from Utah is another possibility. I know they already drafted an edge rusher, but you can never have enough. So they could double up perhaps with Weaver or Anai. Tyler Johnson. And Colin Johnson, yeah. the Johnson brothers, the two wide receivers, one from Minnesota, one Johnson from Texas. And Johnson. That's right, Johnson and Johnson. Both are real possibilities here for the Jets. Eno Benjamin, the running back from Arizona State, he's a great dual threat. You heard Coach Nigel Burton talk about him when he came on to talk about the Pac 12. There's some pretty good offensive linemen left, too. Ben Barch, the offensive tackle from St. John. Nick Harris, the center slash guard from Washington. Keep your eye on him. I know. He didn't do all that well 
at the Senior Bowl, but I think he's somebody that could fit in pretty well on this line. Tyler Biadaz, the offensive lineman from Wisconsin who could be a center or guard. The only question there with him is whether or not he's going to be able to hold up health-wise. Courtney Davis, the wide receiver from Texas A&M, good player, maybe only a slot though, so that might be a problem. Troy Pride Jr., the cornerback from Notre Dame, another possibility if they don't get Bryce Hall. Shadiq Charles, offensive tackle from LSU. Anthony McFarlane Jr., another dual threat running back, would add some real nice speed for the Jets. Reggie Robinson, the cornerback from Tulsa. Alton Robinson, edge rusher from Syracuse. Ben Bredesen, the guard from Michigan. So there are some names here. There are some guys that could come in here and help the Jets right away. Isaiah Hodgins, by the way, the wide receiver from Oregon State. And Darnell Mooney, the wide receiver from Tulane. Two guys that they could also get late as well. Hodgins is more of a possession guy, but has very short hands, whereas Mooney is somebody that's more of a speed demon. And Antonio Gandy-Golden from Liberty is available as well. So there are some guys there, Chris. Anybody stand out to you that they should target on day number three in round four, five, and six? Yeah, I'm I'm a big uh, Tyler Johnson fan. Uh, I lay down up in people's stones a lot. I think he was just, you know, held back by that Michigan offense. I think he has a lot of talent and ability and could could be really good the next level. I'm I'm a big Anthony McFarland fan. Um I, I would definitely, you know, with these three fourth round picks, you could go with uh one of those receivers, Anthony McFarland, and then go ahead and follow it up with uh, you know, uh, either a, a Baidaz from Wisconsin or a Nick Harris uh, from Washington, and you could really add a little more firepower there to the offense. Or in, Bryce Hall would be a, another excellent pick, though. Um, I, I do like Bryce Hall there, and we're talking about fourth round now, so that that's excellent value for him there. Chris Nimbley of JetsInsider.com, thank you so much for coming on and recapping day number two of the draft with me. I know you've got a ton of stuff up at your website, JetsInsider.com. So what's cooking over there, and what are you planning for day number three? Yeah, well, actually, I don't have too much up there right now. I've ran into some Internet issues tonight, but I will hopefully get that sorted out uh, tomorrow and obviously get articles up there about the picks that they've made tonight, what they're going to do tomorrow. Uh, we will have plenty of uh, updates for you on undrafted free agents and then go through the whole gambit of what they, how they help themselves and how they got to try to figure out ways to help themselves going forward because they're, they're, it's, Joe Douglas has done a pretty good job tonight. And it was weird seeing him, him get some praise from people, uh, just not him specifically, but a Jets GM getting praise from people, not used to that. Uh, so we'll, we'll examine all that stuff going forward. Let's hope that he's getting some more praise after day number three. Don't forget, if you haven't had the opportunity to give us a five-star review on iTunes, if you could do that for us, we would really appreciate it. It's an easy way to help out the show. If you like what we're doing, it doesn't cost you any money. It doesn't take you much time, but it goes a long way in helping us out. So if you could do that for us, we would be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest, the New York Jets podcast, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.